Mr. Uh, oh, excuse me, Lord Scarbladder. You and your horde of orcs are gonna find these catacombs most sufficient for your needs. If you'll just uh, follow along there on that non-repo blue enumerated floor plan I've provided, but you see, there are 33 main chambers, five secret corridors, and a particularly nasty passage into the Underdark. Did I mention that the previous owner's gonna leave behind his carrion crawler? Yes, yes, it's all very nice. But do I really need eight different pit traps? I'll lose half my goblin hirelings before the first adventurer ever steps foot into the place. Well, think of it as a uh, lackey incentive program. Those damned magic mouths and ever alcove? Well, that's the price you gotta pay for security. And, and this maze section. Do you really think that I want to get up and work through that every morning? It could be model. Do you know what it's going to cost? To replace those iron maidens alone in Hey, don't sweat it, don't sweat it. You know what? I know some people. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 v v v v Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. The two of us, we're gonna get a lot of stuff done. Before he kicks my ass, we're gonna be awesome. Featuring your hosts! I'm Briggie, I'm Thomas's wife, and I'm the noob. Somebody here call a carpenter? Uh, this is Thomas, husband to Briggie. And uh, let's see, I work for a library, I write, I draw, I paint, I do all of this, but none of it very well. The truth is, I can always find games, though. This is Lou Alu. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. Alright, it's This Old Dungeon. I'm one of your hosts, Lou Alu, and with me tonight are my loyal friends. This is the part where you guys introduce yourself. <laughs> Well, I know I. This is Thomas, and I like to let her go first, but then she won't go first. So. <laughs> oh, well, I, I thought it should just go in the order of you know the ranking of the podcast. I, I know less than any of you two, so I just figured <laughs> I'm the last one. <laughs> I don't know about less. Maybe maybe less about gaming. Maybe not even that. But uh, anyhow, well. So it's been a while. Uh, appreciate those fans that have yeah. stuck with us. Uh, life is just complicated sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's going down all the time. We can never quite get schedules to match up. But uh, yes. glad to be back here tonight with you guys. And uh, what's what's been going on? What uh, what's been going on in gaming? What's been going on in life? How are you guys? Uh, my work's been really busy because I work with the public and being with the library and everything. And so, yeah, it's just been busy on that front for me. So, yeah. Has the uh, uh, states going yellow and everything? Are they ratcheting stuff up with your programming and stuff? Or are you guys still kind of laying low a little bit? Kind of laying low. They opened us. We were at one service model. 
And then on December 21st last year, we went to a reduced service model. So we reduced our reduced model, right? Our capacity went way down. You like it like 1% milk now? Is that what we're talking? Oh, you know, <laughs> something like that. That's, you know, that's just colored water at this point. But, um, but there's been a big pushback, and we're going back to that previous service model. And so the stress level at the library has completely diminished. Uh, I'm not going to get into the politics of everything because we don't talk about that. But, you know, our, our library union want, wanted us to do one thing. The board wants another. Management wants, you know, something else. And, you know, yeah, we're not going to get into all yeah. that. All I know is my staff is 100% less stressed out now. And that's all I care about. There you go. Makes work a lot easier to go into, that's for sure. Yeah. And when I say my staff, I mean I'm the second-in-command circulation supervisor. So, yeah, it, it is my staff, and I don't like them getting bitched out by people, and it does happen at the library. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mm. Briggy, how about you? Uh, well, life is always busy, um, even when you're trying not to do things. Uh, works good. I'm doing a lot of online gaming, but that's I do that. That's part of me, my wind down time, because my office is in my home. There is no drive home. There is no little stop to the grocery store or whatever the hell. It's this here, so I just kind of go to the other desk on the other side of my other desk and then <laughs> log in. Basically, literally, my desks are right next to each other, but they do not meet. They just are <laughs> one separate line between them. But yeah, does no, it, does it give you online. an icky feel to, to sit down on your work desk when you don't have to? Well, it always gives me an icky. Why doesn't it? It should give everybody an icky feel if they have to sit down at their desk and work when they don't want to, or they like it's not their hours or whatever. But uh, Briggy, point out on the doll where the desk touched you. <laughs> just thinking of like crate training with dogs, you know, and they they just start to look at the crate like it's a monster or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's this is one of those things that, well, and I've been working from home for a long time, so um, it's just kind of what it is. Yeah. That'd be tough. I, I, you know, um, there was a, a point in my life when I commuted about 45 minutes to go to work, and uh, in some respects, I, I, I kind of missed that job just because that 45 minutes of decompression, uh, you know, there's yeah. some, some cathartic point to that, I think. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I used to live in Lafayette and drive to Lily for a, a very brief time. Oh. Um, and you're talking to Indianapolis, Lily? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, Eli Lily, because I worked there. Yeah, we, so, we used to have one here in Lafayette. But... Well, right, I don't think I it dropped is out anymore. for a second, so sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um. But, you know, I liked that. Other than the uh, time that somebody ran me off the road, that was, that was fine. I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't mind. I mean, it was an hour, so it was kind of a... And then I moved to Brownsburg and then worked in Carmel, and it was still seemingly like that for a <laughs> bit because the traffic is pretty... I mean, I can do some back roads, but, I mean, you're kind of all the way to 86th Street, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. 
coming back in that Michigan road exit is just kind of annoying during rush hour. So, but yeah, I get you. Um, you know, I have to decompress in other ways, so that's what I do. Very good. Yeah. Well, and if I hit my lights right, I'm, I, if, if the traffic works with me and I hit the lights just right, I can be to work and home or home in like three minutes. So it's, I, I miss, the thing I miss is putting in a podcast and kind of listening for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Cause I used to listen to a lot more podcasts and I still download them and I listen to them. It just takes me so long to listen to them. I try and listen, you know, if I'm doing some gaming stuff or painting or drawing or whatever, yeah, I'll try and listen to them when I'm doing that, but I don't have time to do that too much right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a small commute to work, so I get in some podcasts, but I know what you're saying. It gets to the point that I got to start deleting things. I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to get to that. And, you know, take things off the list. Yeah. Not enough time. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, with all this uh, wow, this talk. is depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what we, what's our podcast about? Uh, let's talk about games. How about let's uh, let's see. How yeah. about we jump into Grail Quest? That sound okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. Grail Quest. All right, so Grail Quest, what is it that we're looking for in gaming? Uh, it could be a gaming experience, could be like a physical product or anything in between. Anybody got one? Ugh. Let me try that again. Anybody got one this week? Um, we haven't, as you know, we picked up our Raven, our family Ravenloft game again, and it's done pretty well. Although we've hit a bunch of speed bumps with it. Um. Lately, like uh, our adopted son Tim, his work's been kind of weird. My work's been kind of weird. So getting together on a Saturday has been really, really rough. Um, but we are going to pick it back up again. I know that. We have figured something out Hold on, uh, with everyone that we have found that shorter sessions tend to work better for everyone. A two- or three-hour session as opposed to trying to do a four mm-hmm. Um it just works a lot better. Um, if it's going really well and we were to go for I mean, like a four hour or five hour, that's one thing. But usually after about two or three hours, we wrap it up. And that has done uh, a world of good uh, for everyone's engagement. You know, it's uh, – and as a GM or a DM in this case, you don't have to really, uh, you know, worry about holding on to everyone's attention for that long of a time or filling that amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, you just need that that three-hour block, and uh, it's been going pretty well. And things are really ramping up. I don't know if they quite realize they have hit a couple of milestones that I think they're ready to start, uh, you know, taking the fight to Strahd now. Mm-hmm. So now, are, so this is the same right characters then uh, that they were playing before, right? Oh, yes. yeah, absolutely. How did you get back into the game from where you'd left um, off, I had... right back to where they were, or did you reset <laughs> something, retcon? What'd you do? No, we kind of were right back where we were. But what I had was I had a, a particular amount of time pass. It had been several months since we played. I didn't quite go as long, but I, you know, they had. St- if you're familiar with uh, Ravenloft and Barovia, there's this town called Velaki, which is up by this lake. And there had been a lot of RP and combat and stuff that occurred there. 
and then they were going to go off and, you know, go do another thing. Mm-hmm. They knew, I mean, it's kind of meta. They knew they were not powerful enough to fight Strahd yet. And, and they even said, you know, kind of like, we need to grind and level up. And which is kind of true, but what they really needed to do was find the tools that they needed, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise it would, it would have rang very false if, Oh, you're third level and you've defeated Strahd. <laughs> no, that does not make sense. Right. But there are equalizers, you know, there's things in the game that you can find and that are, are good tools and they've made allies and different stuff. It's been a lot of RP to kind of build that up. They're kind of creating their own little resistance. Um, so we had it that they had, you know, it, a couple of months had passed, and they had just spent the time in Velaki, kind of licking their wounds and and kind of just getting in the right mindset. So I actually had a space of time pass in game that was not too far off from uh, what passed in real life, and so we picked it up and we started going, and it's been working out really, really well. Nice. Um, after we do this, uh, uh, Bricky is going to run some stuff, and then I have gotten a little bug up my butt about running some kind of classic West End game Star Wars, and everyone's real keen on that. Uh, I don't know about Julia, but Emmy's interested, Al's interested, Al, you know, uh, Briggy's always, you know, up for it. Timmy's up for it, although he knows more about Star Trek, but he, he's already said, I want to play a protocol droid. <laughs> well, okay. I can see that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do... Um, and this is this is further on. We're going to do a couple of adventures out of instant adventures. We're going to do the uh, new recruits and rebel guns to kind of start everyone off because uh, I like it. It's a fun little adventure, kind of light, kind of throws you in the middle of it. And then uh, we're going to see what happens because I think this group uh, kind of likes the RP part more. They don't mind the combat, but Star Wars also leans itself a little better towards some RP, yeah. so that works out. So, yeah. Anyway, that's what we're looking at right here for that. Um, as far as the other Grail Quest stuff for me, I did just recently receive, I did the Kickstarter for the new Savage World Deadlands game, and I got my core rulebook in, and it's pretty cool. So I'd love to do that. Though I'm not a huge fan of the Deadlands setting. Um, I kind of would go with my own version of it if uh, I got a chance to run it. This is just that uh, that search for the the perfect Western RPG, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I almost you almost can't get someone interested in a straight Western. You're gonna have to throw some kind of science fiction and fantasy element into it. So I want to do that. Maybe tone it down a little bit, and I don't want to do the big Deadlands overall story you know they've got however many years 15 20 years of story mm-hmm. uh and i'm like uh no i'm gonna do this little sweet spot that i like right here and kind of create my own stuff um like in deadlands the civil war lasted longer because they found that you know mysterious uh fuel ghost rock which i think is a cool concept uh, and it changed how the history unfolded i don't want to do that though mm-hmm. so i'm going to do my own thing you know, I'm going to use the Deadlands and Savage Worlds rules kind of to create my own Weird West setting. If I ever get a chance to do this with everyone, you know. That sounds cool to me, man. I, I love Savage Worlds and uh, always been looking for an actual square Western, you know, where it's, you know, not... Uh, I mean, I don't mind, kind of like what you are saying, I don't mind a little bit of embellishment here and there, but I just... 
there's just something about just a, a sweet, simple frontier, you know, dust and bullets and whiskey and I don't know, something about that oh, yeah. that I just really enjoy. Yeah, and that's where I, like I said, yeah. I, I don't mind the supernatural element because people have fun with it and it is fun. I would just tone it down uh, mm. quite a bit is what I would do. Like California has not dropped off, you know, in the Deadlands setting. There's been an earthquake. There's been all kinds of things. It's almost, in its short time, it's almost convoluted as uh, the D&D Forgotten Realms setting. <laughs> that thing's a hot mess, yeah. um, my opinion, you know. I think anything after third edition campaign setting, no, nah, I don't care for much of any of it. Yeah, it was so, kind of a, a weird ride, those, those campaign settings, you know? I mean, because uh, I remember uh-huh. as a kid getting the box sets and at first being really enamored with it and the idea that, oh, there's this you know whole world that's detailed and, <laughs> and there's something sort of fun about that at first. But then, by the time I was in college, it's like, man, this is a headache. I, you know, I don't want to have to know all this stuff. There's real information yeah, I like, need to know. I, I'm putting enough work into this that I should get some credit hours in school for. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I like to to borrow stuff from it. Well, th- you know what? But the thing is, with these campaign settings from Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, Dragonlance, Cthulhu, uh, BattleTech. I'm trying, you know, trying to spread the love here. They all do this. Mm-hmm. Deadlands. Um, you know, there's there's so much to that. You get, you know, you have the different types of gamers, and that has created, uh, you know, a setting lawyer. Yeah. Whereas before you had a rules lawyer who was a real stickler on the rules, but a setting lawyer now, you know, it's like, well, the Millennium Falcon didn't have this blah, blah, <laughs> blah sort of hyperdrive. It had this sort of hyperdrive. And it was like, just go with it. You know, this is our story, our version of it. Yeah, I think, you know, I used to really love the D6 Star Wars game. And I, I still like it as a game, still think it's one of the best it's... games. But but I think oh, yeah. what you're talking about is part of why... I'm a little bit shy about getting back into it, is that, you know, as time has gone on, I've not kept up on the novelization stuff, I haven't read any of the comic books, I didn't watch the animated series of any of the stuff there, Clone Wars and all that, uh, so now I'm like, you know, it used to be, it was cool for me to just make up stuff on the fly, because it was an open area of the of the Star Wars world, right, it was, you know, off camera, Yeah. but now everything but off camera is detailed. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm... Uh, if I get a chance to run this idea that I've got, um, you know, we're just we're just going to play. And if we're, you know, they're not all a bunch of settings lawyers. And if we change something, it's our game. It's okay. Think of it as an alternate universe version. You know, I think we're going to try and keep the big beats of it. But if something were to happen really, really cool, and we've suddenly changed something that happened, that's a great gaming, uh, you know. Uh, opportunity mm-hmm. to do like one of the things I'm going to do I'm really considering is finally running I've had it forever since, since it was new I've still got it the um, the uh, Star Wars box the introductory box set that came out is that the one where you start thought, with Mos Eisley no, no okay. this one you start on a little planet I think it's called Assault on Adon 2 or something or other and it comes with a little bunch of you know little stuff in there, little uh, fold-up minis and you know paper minis and things like that. And it's relatively light. Um, I'm going to change it to uh, Batu, 
which is the setting from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland and Disney World. <laughs> and what's going to be fun about that is I've got a I've got one of the travels got Traveler's Guide to Batuu uh at Galaxy's Edge. But our entire family which we'd be playing in it have we've all been to Galaxy's Edge. And you know, we've all kind of got that first person idea of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a lot of fun. Because I've read a couple of the books that deal with Galaxy's Edge. I don't, you know me. I used to read everything Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Simply, there's all. I'm not going to get into it. There's a whole reason I did such a deep dive into Star Wars. Now all I want to look at, or you know, anything having to do with Han Solo and Galaxy's Edge, because I've been to Galaxy's Edge, and I think it's really cool. So as I'm reading this book, that's really not a great. Like I got a young adult novel and I read it that's set at Batu and it's like oh, it was okay. What was really cool is when they would mention something and in my little geek head I'm going oh I've been there. <laughs> you know oh they're talking about Doc Undar's uh, right. antiquities and I'm like oh I've been there. That's cool. I was in there. I saw the animatronic Doc. I saw <laughs> I saw this the stuffed Wampa that they're mentioning in the book which they have one there. Oh, wow. And yeah and it's all kinds of cool stuff. So I think that might be a nice little end for everyone because, you know, I think it'd be fun. Anyway, that that's a whole lot of talking around uh, with that. Briggy, what are you looking for right now? Um, just uh, probably uh, more of the family game time if we can get it together. I like the idea of yeah. Star Wars. Um, you know, I can I'm prepared to run as well if um you know if we can if we, you know what I mean like I don't know I'll run anything I don't I would have to prepare myself but I mean I know the uh, Lord of the Rings one the most um but mm-hmm. uh you know but I'm all about Lord of the Rings so <laughs> <laughs> now for you, you is that I mean? a is that a d20 system um, it is because it's five e. No. It's a five yeah, e. So mm-hmm. they took uh, what was it? They had the one ring game, mm-hmm. and then they got a license to do five e. And so then they just took all their one ring stuff and modified it over to five e. And then I don't know what's happened. I think they lost the license or something. But someone else yeah. picked up the license to present uh, the one ring, and so there's now the one ring second edition coming out. Yep. But we're do- we're sticking with 5e because you know what? That's what the kids play. And when I say the kids, I mean everybody. <laughs> you know, and then our kids as well. They're very familiar with it. It's, you know, I know there's a lot of news going on with D&D and Magic the Gathering right now and Wizards of the Coast and there's there's a there's a lot of bloat in D&D 5e and there's going to be more. I think they're going to ramp it up big time. It's going to be back in the days of like second edition, mm-hmm. you know, when they had all kinds of stuff. But they're saying it's the most profitable year they've had with D and D and Magic the Gathering. So, <laughs> yeah, I wonder yeah. why. It, it, yeah. Almost universally, uh, I think everybody in the gaming gaming sector, uh, both board games and uh, RPGs, uh, has had a banner year, which is interesting because oh, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you know, people are bored and they need things to do. But, uh, you know, there's talk when this all first started that, oh, you know, everything's going to disappear because, well, conventions are the backbone of the gaming industry. 
Um, and you got to have physical conventions really to push product. But uh, so far, I don't know that that's true. Uh, I mean, I know I think local that they gaming pivoted. stores are hurting. But... I think they pivoted. You know what I mean? The they good pivoted. companies did. They, uh, they went online with it. They mm-hmm. embellished that. And I think that that makes all the difference because, you know, a lot of um, it gave people the opportunity to kind of stay home but also still sell their product to sell it online. Yeah, yeah well, I know. Mike Brodor from Fear the Boot and stuff, he's got his GoInfo.org. Um, I'm friends with him, but he, he has gone on record because he's doing gaming news and stuff. Online retailers are have just been crushing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've just been nailing it left and right. And online gaming has, you know, just taken off. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good. I know for like people like me, you know, I, I never wanted to game online at all as far as, you know, virtual tabletops and things. Really shied away from it and then finally broke down for, uh, you know, I think it was the, the first, uh, the Cyclops Con for Goodman Games. Yeah. And, and now it's like, I'm not looking back, man. I'll, I'll game virtually any chance I get. Uh, it's, you know, not time consuming and for the most part it's, you know, 80 to 90% of the fun of in-person gating, gaming, so... You gotta take what you get, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm still a little. Yeah, I'm a little hesitant with it, but I do want to dip my toe further into it, you know. But uh, yeah, I know uh, this weekend they're doing. Uh, Brian, it's the third good yeah. games. Yeah, yeah spawn, spawn. That's what it is, right? Spawn of the Cyclops. spawn of Cyclops Con. Yeah. So we had Cyclops Con. Well, I don't know if that was what it was called. Then Bride of Cyclops Con, which Briggy and I played some games in that. And then yep. this weekend, Spawn of the Cyclops Con. But I was just looking at the schedule and how busy we've been, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that this time. <laughs> you know. Yeah, this is my, my weekend so- off from online gaming as far as conventions go. So I just, I wanted to, but I was like, no, nah, man, I really need a, a down weekend to do some things, you know, in, in other sectors of my life. <laughs> right. So here yeah, we are. It's recording. like one of the. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, you know, I love miniatures and stuff. I bought, I got a camera for running for our little group. We've not been in lately because we've just been kind of worn out. So by the time we get to Sunday night, we have like no energy left. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's been a lot of it. And I bought some, uh, I bought meeples on uh, Amazon, actual wood meeples for you know, kind of your version. If people don't know, um, Louis has these little plastic blocks with these little <laughs> pegs on them. He's had for... Oh my god! I think almost as long as I've known you. Yeah, they they and were really. And use them purchase. as like little miniatures. Yeah, I've looked every every now and again. I go into a teacher supply store working for the library and stuff, and I or I I've looked also. We get these odd little catalogs at the library, <laughs> where you can, uh, you know, you, of course you buy things. You know, uh, you've got stuff that you use in a library. Everything from carts to labels to shelving units, to magazine holders and all this. But we also get all these little magaz- catalogs, when I say magazines, catalogs that have got uh, prizes for summer reading programs or um, there's posters to put up in the library and the ALA does stuff like that. And all these little things you can use for programming and teaching. And I'm always looking for those little pegs. <laughs> I'm like, they're really obscure, but we get these really obscure catalogs at the library. So I look all the time. Well, if you I do, I know you got your meeples, but if you uh, if you do want some, uh, I think it was last year when I first decided I was going to start taking my game online. Uh, you know the Dare Luck Club thing. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I decided I wanted more of those, so I finally hunted down a place that sold them online, and I got a, oh. a canister of a thousand of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I've, I've got like 40 of them that I, I now carry around for games of different colors to do like, oh, you know, here's a small contingent of orcs or whatever you need to do, but, uh, but I still have, you know, haven't even scratched the surface, so uh, I'll have to, That's cool. whenever we can get together again one of these days, I'll have to bring that with me and you can grab well, you however many you want. Okay, well, I, I did, uh, I bought the meeples because I thought, well, I could lay them down flat mm-hmm. and you'll be able to tell what they are. Um, another thing I've been doing is I've been printing up a ton. I found a guy who made these cardboard um Star Wars miniatures and other stuff too. And I've printed them off on cardstock and I've been cutting them out and folding them up and I've got these little pegs you can slide them on and stuff. So it's like I'm, I'm really doubling down on my learning how to game and do terrain and miniatures on the cheap. Yeah. You know? And so I've been doing that. I've been putting that all together. And when I'm all done, I'll put pictures of it on our Facebook page and stuff. But like, it's just like little, and then I printed up a bunch of uh, ships. Because since Star Wars West End D6 is very cinematic, I, I just got these little chips I've got on cardboard. I can put on a little peg, and we can put them around, and you know. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I bought meeples. I've got a camera. At some point, I'm gonna try and run something for everyone in our little group. I'm just not sure when, and I don't want to commit to anything yet. Yeah. All right. Well. The next segment is our uh, our letters to the homeowners association, and uh, if, if folks, if you think we've gone on pretty long so far, uh, get comfortable because we've got a lot of them tonight. <laughs> okay. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion, this letter writer is a total wacko. All right. So uh, keep in mind, folks, that some of these messages come uh, from back at Christmas time. So um, let's see where to begin. I'm going to save that one for a moment. Okay, how about here? Okay, uh, this is pretty impressive if you ask me, but uh, John Williams, and I can only assume that this is the John Williams, wrote of to us. Of course it is. Yeah, it has to be, right? Yeah. Well, of course, John right. Williams. So uh, amid uh, orchestration for you know whatever hit movie he's working on right now, uh, he took the time out to re- write to us. Uh, I'm only going to read part of this. He says, you probably already know, but the audio quality needs some work. And so, you know, again, John Williams, audio quality, it has to be that John Williams. Uh, he says, I've listened to a few of your episodes so far, and some voices can only come out of, or only come out of the left earbud and some of my right earbud. It sounds like mono, low bit rate, or something like that. And there's been some audio balancing issues, some levels being louder than others, some being too quiet, etc., making it difficult to find a good volume setting to make everything easy to listen to without blasting your ears out. And then he gives me some suggestions uh, on that. I, I want to first off, I want to fall on the sword here. Uh, the audio stuff is all me. I am a complete amateur. Don't know half the things that I could be doing with Audacity, but I'm learning slowly. And hopefully, you guys will notice the next few episodes a little bit better quality. I, I've kind of pinpointed some of the problems one of the main problems was that i would check the episodes on my phone and for whatever reason they were sounding great on my phone but then it just so happened i don't know i think it was like our fourth episode or maybe fifth uh, i played it on the computer instead of the phone and uh, i was like whoa man that's horrible and then i checked and nope sounds fine on the phone I, i realized that it's just my phone whatever it does to the the audio it must be 
I don't know, somehow counterbalancing some of that stuff. So uh, your your phone is probably uh, you know a better technology than your computer. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, hopefully you'll notice a, an improvement in the quality. If not, guys, please keep telling me what I can do because uh, you know I'm, I'm learning on the fly here. So really appreciate that, John Williams. And uh, you know, again, anyone that uh, can give any advice on that, we'll take it. You can either send it to our yeah. email at uh, thisoldungeon at gmail dot com, or you can go to our Facebook page and send us a message that way. Yeah, I want to. It's like my first response is, "Well, it's free. What more do you want?" <laughs> <laughs> but then I thought you you are investing your time and it should at least be you know listenable. Right. Yeah. I've yeah. listened to other podcasts and shut them off because I'm like, wow, you sound horrible. <laughs> so I I get it and thank you, John. But yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I really do not ever take offense to things like that because you know if he hadn't said anything, uh, you know, we I could have gone known. on. Yeah, yeah. never know. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's one of the reasons why. Uh, as people know, Briggy and I are, are married, and uh, my uh, my my desktop computer is down uh, in our office area, which is where her work and game computer are. But if we try and record, the feedback and echo is so bad. Mm. Our first couple of episodes, we did that, and finally I got my laptop out, which it's not a bad laptop, but it just seems to be finicky. And... That's why I actually record upstairs, and Briggy does all the recording down in the office. So we did that just for that very reason. Yeah, we did. Nice. But we should try it again because I have a new headset, and we'll see. I bet you it's not. I think that would cancel this, that out. It might. Well, what we could do, too, is uh, you know get like an open mic, and then we can actually just sit down there next to each other and do this, too. Yeah, we could. Yeah. All right, our next one comes from Carlos. And uh, Carlos uh, wrote and said, Hello, how's it going? Hope all is well. I have some cool information that might interest you. Your podcast, This Old Dungeon, has been ranked 71st in category in the category games uh, for Canada's Apple what is it? Apple Podcast Rankings. Uh, you are positioned good. 241st <laughs> in the United States. Happy podcasting, Carlos. So uh, that's pretty cool. It, yeah, uh, I'll take 71st in Canada. You know, I like the Canucks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering how sporadic we are with our recording, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I am too. Also, I was just saying uh, to Thomas earlier that we should try and do like a holiday podcast in the, this coming year because it would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Some special episodes. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and. I think we're going to do a little talking afterwards. We need to get on some kind of semi-regular schedule. Yeah, I, I know that, you know, we had a couple of people that were kind of like, hey, uh, pod fading, question mark? <laughs> and oh, I was like, no, 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 no it's no. just scheduling, man. We'll get there. Yeah. Fair fair question. Fair but, yeah. question, big time, no. yeah. The, uh, the next letter is from uh, my artist buddy, Christopher Tupa, and uh, he wrote this. Uh, this is from January 4th. Hey guys, just wanted to say Happy New Year's, uh, and also that I enjoy listening to your podcast. When I'm sketching or painting, I listen to it and have a wonderful time. Keep up the good work. So, oh, that's thanks, nice. Thanks for Happy New Year's to you. <laughs> yeah. All right, now now the next three, we've got some serious questions we've got to answer here. Okay. Uh, so this is from Jonathan Sullivan. He writes, Hi guys, been enjoying the podcast. As someone who came to role-playing after the old-school period, he started with 2nd Edition AD&D and moved into the World of Darkness pretty soon after, uh, he's been curious <laughs> to hear our thoughts about the difference between old-school slash OSR gaming 
and the more modern RPGs? What do you think their relative strengths and weaknesses are? What experience do you have uh, with the more story-based games? Keep up the great work. All right. Let's dig into that. That's a loaded That's a It loaded is. Question. Oh, my. I mean, we touched a little bit about that on our Zero episode, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, hmm, strengths and weaknesses. I like how he put that. I like how he didn't get into the, the trenches there, you know, with the the whole, you know, old versus new, fourth edition hate, the, stuff uh, like that. <laughs> yeah, the OSR revolution, things like that, you know. Well, you know, that's a really good question because I think my, my first response is role-playing games started because uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson were, you know, tabletop miniature war reenactment nerds, right? That's mm-hmm. what they did. They loved to do that stuff. And then one of them had this idea you know, okay, we're doing this thing, we have this, you know, battalion, and then in this battalion there's this unit, and now what about this one guy here? So you take your table full of miniatures and you point to just one of the miniatures miniatures on there and say, What's his story? And that was kind of the burgeoning idea mm-hmm. between, you know, that that one of the many ideas that started role playing games. What's this one guy's story? And you know, and it seems a lot of early, you know, it was a lot of, for the most part, or at least that's the reputation that it has, as it was kicked, it was a game of munchkin, kick down the doors, kick, kill the monster, take their stuff. But then there were also stories involved with it, too, and they got a little more complex as time's gone on. And I think there was, I don't know what you would say the the demarcation line is, but at some point people realized what a storytelling art form RPGs could be, that it wasn't just dice rolling and number crunching, that you could really get into character. Mm-hmm. You know, what's my motivation? <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and people do that, though. And people talk about immersion. I have to have immersion. I, you know, I have to be able to suspend my disbelief. And I'm like... My, my character wouldn't know, do that. Okay. <laughs> right. Or I'm, I'm only acting like an ass because that's what my character would do. Yeah, really? Is that really? Is that what it is? No, I anyway. Uh, and I think we've all kind of uh, been uh, been involved with that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know. But I think what um the 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 big thing is with the new gaming, they've realized there's there's really not a lot of limits to it. Uh almost anything goes now where before Okay, here's what you used to have. You'd have fantasy with Dungeons and Dragons. You'd have a spy game with Top Secret. You'd have a superhero game with the Phaser Rip from Marvel or Mayfair's DC. You could have horror with Call of Cthulhu. Um, you could have science fiction with Star Wars and Star Frontiers and things like that. It was very genre based, you know. But there was at some point it seemed like they started to become a little bit like idea based. It wasn't it like uh, kids on bikes. It's very much like in Dare Luck Club. It's Goonies, it's kids, it's nostalgia, it's this sort of thing. Um, they started, you know, playing around with the mechanics, not just dice. You had things like Fate, where it's pluses and minuses, or you had Dread, which is used as a Jenga tower as a mechanic. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of talking around, and that's a that's a really big question. Mm-hmm. You almost want to sit down and and do some research and write a thesis statement and then <laughs> present it. Yeah, I think that, I mean, honestly, it's, you know, to me anyhow, it's like um, it's like looking back at your kids when they've grown up as adults, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, well, well wh- when was it most fun to know them? 
It's like, well, you know, every mm. stage had its moments of, of struggle and every stage had its moments of triumph and, you know, you're proud of them throughout it all and, and, and you know, wouldn't trade any of the memories from any one time for another. And I think that's kind of gaming in, in general. I, I think that the older games, yeah, that they, you know, the weaknesses people will point out as things like, well, you know, they're really crunchy. They have all these odd little rules that are not, you know, they're almost like subset rules where they're not, you know, elegant and streamlined to, to play out the same way for when you're dealing with like a saving throw versus when you're dealing with a perception check sort of thing. So, I mean, that that's part of the element is that the rules are a little crunchier. The older games tend to use a lot more tables where you, you have random things happen yeah. based on a rule. Um, a lot of tables um, where now it's more formula-based. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the old games, they had a lot of rules, but yet they didn't have a rule for everything. And it wasn't really expected that you needed a rule for everything. It was kind of expected that, well, you know, you just make a decision as a game master or you come up with your own rule as a game master, and that's fine. That was expected and... You know, nobody really complained about that or anything uh, as far as well, know, my was, table. And, you know. Yeah, and that was kind of the tradition. Like I've said on this show a lot of times and from the reading I've done, it seemed a lot of the rules Gary Gygax came up with uh, were kind of on the spot, on the fly. And that's why you see in a D&D and a D&D, a lot of the checks are it's a one and two, it's a one and six, two and six chance. Because mm-hmm. he's just like, oh, I'm going to try and climb up the wall. Uh, or I'm going to try and sneak past. What are my chances or whatever? And Gary would just grab a D6 and go, all right, two and six chance. And you just roll it just to keep the game moving and just to come up with some kind of, uh, you know, randomizer. He wasn't just making up a rule. The, the dice actually decided. Hmm. Well, that being said, I mean, I, I really don't think anybody in, in maybe the whole world, well, maybe a few people, but very few people have ever played a D and D or D and D by the rules, rules as written, raw as they say. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think so. I mean, there's so many quirky little rules and things that you look at and go, man, eh, that just doesn't sound fun, <laughs> you know, or that's too complicated or whatever. All right. Well, well, like um, when D and D three and Pathfinder, they came out and they made the rule that at first level you got your maximum hit die. At first level, you could roll randomly every die after that. You get your maximum hit die, and you get your constitution modifier. That has been a house rule in a lot of games mm-hmm. for years, and mm-hmm. then they finally just adopted it and said, "Yeah, it's a pretty good house rule. Let's use it." Exactly. Yeah. What else? Let's see. Old school. So I guess to me, the being okay with game masters making calls and allowing uh, allowing them to have latitude on situations where you don't have to look everything up or you don't have to go by the book on everything. To me, that's sort of a strength. And that's, I think, why the OSR movement kind of came back around into favor. You know, with third edition, I think specifically, people got overwhelmed with, oh, this feat plus that feat equals this advantage. Don't forget to add the two for that and the one for this. And and they're just going, no, no, no. Let's, you know, let me just do some shooting from the hip here and uh you know what we'll have some basic rules and just go with that and anything else we'll just make up as we need it yeah i think so because uh like i said uh then you get the splat books too (laughs) and as you get going with this you know some splat books are pretty cool some are not and they're just a money grab i get that 
you know. And there's nothing. I get it. It's a business. I get that. That's not the problem. But just because it's a business doesn't mean you can't put out something that makes sense in its quality. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I am. Uh, I remember the brown second edition D and D A D and D splat books. You had the complete guide to fighters, complete guide to clerics, mm-hmm. blah, blah, complete guide to whatever. Yeah, or whatever. Um, I had a, I had several of those. I sold them a few years, uh, several years ago. It's because I needed the extra money. But I held on to the complete book of dwarves for two reasons. One, I thought it was actually really well done. The elf one was as well. And, and um, I really like dwarves. So I'm like, I'm going to hang on to this one. So I did. You it's know. pretty neat, though. I like that book. Oh, yeah. It's very cool. And, yeah, that it's. That is such a really good question. That's almost like you'd want to, you'd almost want to do a panel at a con and Mm -hmm. get some people up there and talk about it. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's a matter of, like, and I don't have, like, I think we've played maybe one game where there are tables. It was kind of neat. I didn't mind the tables. Um, We've done some Star Frontiers in D&D with that. Yeah, and it's... Well, and the Mutant Crawl Classics that we're doing right now is kind of thrown back to the tables there. It's, um, yeah, it's considered OSR. But I'm, I kind of like the, I th- I'm, how do I want to say? i I really liked Pathfinder a lot, but I think I like Five E more. I do like uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, but it's not to me. It's not a very character based, mm-hmm. um, like development of character wise. It's not a thing. But even so, um. It's still fun. It has its purpose with it. I think it's simplistic in a lot of ways, but I like I like that though. You know. It, well, part okay. Here's part of it, and I think we've mentioned this, and and you say it's simplistic, but here's why: it puts the decision making back into the hands of the players and the game master. Right. Well, and, and I, um, also I like about it the Dungeon Crawl Classics is like you said, like you roll a thing and then this weird thing happens to you or whatever, and that's fun. So, like with the mutants, like I have the glowy eyes. My character has the glowy eyes because I rolled and there's a chart. You know, I didn't make that up myself, you know, whereas um, in some other areas, you know, like in 5e or whatever, you know, you could possibly say you could have glowy eyes or whatever because if you're the dragon, um, I mean the demon, what is that one, tiefling? Tiefling. Or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's all of it is still gaming, of course, but... It just depends, like you said, you know, you don't want to overdo these crazy rules and feats. Although, you know, depending on what you're playing, I mean, I kind of liked some of that stuff when I was a barbarian because uh, I could kick the crap out of people (laughs) because of those things and tallying that stuff up. So, I don't know, I think there's pros and cons of both sides. Well, I, you know what? It's some of the newer games. Well, I, I'd say the crunchier games, uh, it seems like. Uh, it's like you're doing your taxes. You know? <laughs> you know, some of them, yeah. Well, uh, that's that's yeah. what I'll say about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. That was, <laughs> you know. I have not, well, not we had got, the pleasure of we playing did that the one big, Yeah. I, unfortunately, neither have we. <laughs> well, we uh, played a little bit. We haven't bit, had the pleasure. The pleasure. No, I'm saying, <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. We haven't had the pleasure. Yeah, Definitely not. I, I could probably, you know, because uh, you bought the uh, the playtest book. I did. And being a playtest book, it's not laid out super well. It's hard to find stuff. And then we, I think we we got a little taste of it at Gen Con, and then we tried to go into a playtest group at a local shop, and that just didn't work out. 
No. We'll just leave that where it is. Yes. You know, and we've decided, you know, if we want to do Crunchy and we want to do third edition stuff, we'll do Pathfinder. And, it, you know, because we actually understand it and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, sometimes you it's sometimes playing games like Pathfinder or third edition or, well, those are really the big ones right there. Um, you have to plan your character like you're planning your 401k. You know, yeah. well, I've got to invest this, and next year I got to increase my. I'm going to increase the percentage to what I put into it, and then uh, I've got this money market. Because <laughs> you have to plan. If I want to get great cleave, I have to get cleave. For, I have to get uh, whatever. I can't yeah. remember what it is. Mighty the, uh, well, yeah, I don't, yeah. Right, then you can get cleave, and then you can get great cleave, and it's really cool when you get it. It's like your Conan the Barbarian wading through the picks and stuff, but it takes you a minute to get there. I remember we were playing in our dwarf game, and our friend Beave was playing a fighter, and he had great cleave, and all it was like he was just wading through, whack, whack, yeah, whack, pretty whack, much. And he had a blast doing that. Yeah, he did. You know? And it was a lot of fun, you know, but if you're playing from first level to whatever, I can't remember where that comes, that's every three levels, you know, uh, you get feats and stuff, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's like a 401k. And who wants to do that? <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got to have a head for that stuff. Yeah. I do, but, you know, some people don't. That, that's something that I've kind of reflected on, and, and honestly, this is part of why the characters in uh, the Dare Luck Club are, are so simple is... To me, a lot of the modern games, what your character can do and what you sign them up for when you're creating them sort of defines them. Whereas in the older games, a thief was a thief was a thief, so how you played them defined them. You know what I mean? Like you had to bring the character into that that character. You had to you know make their personality by your choices and the way you portrayed them. Versus oh, you know I'm a you know barbarian and I get, you know, rage attack at this level, I get this at that level and I've chosen this feat here and my character is this set of abilities versus well my character is this is average joe but they, you know, they're they've got this little quirk that I'm going to make them have and you know, my portrayal of them creates them. That makes sense? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it does cuz it'd be like, well, it if you're a warrior or a fighter, you're a fighter's a fighter, a fighter, like you said, but you're like, uh, I'm going to play him kind of barbaric, mm-hmm. a kind of primitive. Um, I don't trust magic. I don't like magic. It has nothing to do with the class and the crunchy numbers and those abstracts that define a character, but how you play the character. And it's like I've always said, it's like acting. One guy's version of Hamlet versus another guy's version of Hamlet, you know, yeah, it's going to be the same lines because that's how Shakespeare wrote them, but how you deliver them is completely up to you. Mm-hmm. Now, in defense of modern games, I, 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 one of their strong suits, I think, is just they're, they're much better packaged. Uh, you know, they read better, they, they streamline things, they use bullet points, they, you know, everything about them is just better put together. Sidebars. Yeah. And indexes and yeah 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 no I agree uh, and of course the art now is absolutely amazing I mean it's uh, some of the art that you see in RPG books is in my opinion a level of fine art mm-hmm. because they are doing a, an oil or acrylic painting well God if you ever go to Gen Con and you see um, Larry Elmore's booth it's like fine art some of the pieces he puts out. Um, even the stuff that's like, uh, this is just production art. Like, I think he had, uh, Ancient Red, the classic red box D&D 
cover. He had the original painting there at his booth. He still has it. And you get around to the edges and you can see he hasn't, you know, prettied it up or anything. You can see where he masked it off. You can see where he painted it. You can see because it's original art. Mm -hmm. You can see the pencil lines and the pen. But then once you get past that border, you see that original piece. It's like comic book artists like that. Yeah. And, you know, so the art in like D&D books and Pathfinder, and I'm trying to think of some of the, um, like the you know, Aliens uh, game, it's real sexy looking art wise. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it's like fine art. I mean, it's that kind of skill. That's, look at magic cards. Some of those cards are freaking amazing. They are. Well, it, and they're just boiled down to this little two by three card. Yeah, and I think not the industry, even that, I mean, take up the whole card. Like when D&D was first rolling out, they, they didn't know how big their audience was going to get. Who knows what their return on investment was going to be. But like those magic cards, each of those paintings, I mean, those those guys and gals are making, you know, three grand on a painting there. Uh, so you think of a deck of 64 cards at three grand a piece, uh, or 60 cards or whatever they are. I don't play magic. Well, but... look at Wayne Reynolds. Yeah, Wayne Reynolds does a lot of magic art, and he's a British guy, and he's really good. And and if you do it right, you can make an entire deck uh, of magic that just uses his, his art. Yeah. People do that sort of theme, you know. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's big production time nowadays in the in the modern RPG world compared to the, the old school stuff. And there's charms about it. I mean, you know, I think that's one of the things the OSR kind of likes is, is the quirkiness of the old art, the... the Errol Otis sort of like it, I mean it's art and it's good art but it's different it's not meant to be photorealistic it's not meant to be you know flashing stuff it's meant to be kind of quirky and invoke this kind of odd sort of feeling I will say it can be fine art it's almost impressionism mm -hmm. you know it's like I'm not going to draw this really detailed you know knight in armor but I've got this kind of cartoony knight in armor but if you look at some of that stuff especially with Errol, Errol Otis you look at it and you go oh that's that's like impressionism. That's not, you know, it's not photorealistic. It's not this, but it's like it's the general idea of what you're looking for, and your mind fills in the blanks. Yeah. And I think it's really good like that. And you know, some of the stuff that like Goodman Games does, you you look at it and you think, oh, that's very OSR. I've looked at some of that stuff, and the detail that they put into that is amazing. Mm -hmm. Little square inch, <laughs> that page. You know, and maybe it's just a one-page, you know, it's an art piece in the book. As you're flipping through, it's nice layout and stuff. But every little inch has some little detail. Like, if they, I'm trying to think of one. There's one that's like a picture of a sorceress witch or something like that. And she's in her, you know, little study or whatever. And she's casting a spell. And, like I said, like every inch of shelf and or wall. And, yeah. Right, there's voodoo heads and and uh, little idols and all kinds of little things. I mean, the detail is absolutely amazing. And some of the line work, the delineation that they do, it's it's crazy good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so not to disparage anything of the OSR, you know. I think the OSR is more of a feel in some ways, too. Mm -hmm. It's trying to, uh, it's a nostalgia thing. Not a bad thing. I've always said that there's, there's two, there's, there's, I have this thing I call nostalgia burn, and that's when you go revisit something that you have fond memories of, like from when you were a kid. You, you know, absolutely loved 
masters of the universe and used to watch that cartoon and played with the toys and you're just a huge fan and now here you are you're 40 year old and you've got kids and you're like oh i love this i found it on netflix i'm gonna watch it and it doesn't hold up that's nostalgia burn you're like oh now you're not looking at it through the mind of an eight-year-old boy you know (laughs) <laughs> and it can still be fun, and you can still watch it. I do that with uh, classic Super Friends cartoons. Wow, some of those don't hold up. But man, I can still watch them because I have a fondness for them. Um, All right. So then the final thing in his question, just so we can say we tried to, to touch it each piece, uh, yeah. story-based games. What's our experience with story-based games? i tell you, the first time I encountered what I would consider to be a story-based game, and there was a point I could tell you the guy's name, but this would be like Gen Con 2003, maybe, something like that, 2004, maybe. Uh, there's a gentleman that always used to have a booth there, and he made his own games, like not just like what I'm trying to do, not like print-on-demand kind of stuff, but like like literally like printed out the papers, uh, bound the books, and like decoupaged boxes and stuff, uh, Man, I used to know his name. I can't think of it now. But anyhow, he he was there for years and years and years. And he had these games that were Game Masterless. And the game I particularly remember was called Dead Man on Campus. And it was uh, sort of a Call of Cthulhu sort of scenario where you were on the campus of, oh, I want to say it was like maybe Yale or maybe it was Harvard or something like that. At the turn of the century... Or maybe it's the 1920s, I guess. Um, but at any rate, you played these college professors and students that were trying to solve a murder, but the deal was that there was no like murder written down. Like It was all basically, these are things you find, now you try to put this together to something that makes sense. And whenever you came to do something as a group playing the game, you would, as a, a group, decide, well... It's probably, for that character, it would probably be uh, a 5 or a 6 to be able to get that done on a 6-sided die. And then you roll and see if you make it. Uh, so each each attempt to do something, you know, you, you come to this council and you make this decision. So to me, that was the first story-type game that I played because I feel it's a story game because there was no plot in the book. It was all, you know, here are some things you encounter, but you make sense of it. You come up with a story. And you figure out when the game's done. You decide that, yeah, okay, we're, we're satisfied that was an ending. <laughs> How about you guys? Do you have any experience with this? I do. Uh, Brigitte, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? You go first because I'm trying okay, to Okay, because I think one of them is going to be the the same. Um, uh, my first real experience with a Game Masterless game, um, i got to throw this one out there because it's probably the best out there, and that's Fiasco. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Fiasco is a Game Masterless game. There's dice involved, but it's very much about your character and rolling off of each other, and it's about storytelling, and you know, you gotta kind of roll with it, too. If someone gives you something that's not, you know, I don't really like that. No, roll with it. It's pulp. (laughs) Be horrible. Be a bad person. Fiasco, I even, and I was going to run it at Fear the Con. I've not had a chance and I keep wanting to. Um, I wrote a fiasco scenario I call 14 Miles to Gotham. And it's, um, it's a Batman fiasco, but how it works is you're not any of the, the, the main characters. You're not Batman Robin. You're not even Commissioner Gordon or Harvey Bullock or Chief O'Hara. You're not even Aunt Harriet. Mm-hmm. Okay. You are um you are the people in Gotham City 
who have to live that live in Gotham City with all this craziness. And or you might be a corrupt cop or a corrupt politician. Maybe you're a mobster or a crook or you're a goon trying to get another, you know, well, Joker just got put away. I need another job. Penguin's hiring, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and that's the sort of thing. So I wrote that and I've, I've put it out there just for free on my old website um, with thickskull.net. I, I don't really have that anymore. But, um, yeah, it's called 14 Miles to Gotham. Um, that's one. Uh, another one I've played that was, it did have a game master, but it was much more of a storytelling based setting. Um, and that was, um, it's by Chad Watler from Fear the Boot. Um, his website is Morning Sky Studios, Sky, S K Y E, uh, dot com. And it was, uh, it was kind of a dread game. And man, I, I'm sorry, Chad. Uh, he's not listening, but, um, <laughs> I did not, uh, I can't remember the game, but he won, he won the silver any one year for best, uh, free game. Hmm. So at Gen Con, you know, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's, there is a game master, but it's very storytelling based. But yeah, my my experience with Game Masterless is fiasco. I have a couple downstairs that I've not ever really had a chance to try out. Uh, but I bought them at Gen Con because they were fascinating to me. There's one I've got called Kingdom of Nothing. Um, basically, you play homeless people. But the reason you're homeless is you are in tune with something that no one else is. There's a dark side to the world. There's weird stuff going on. And you all create your characters right there sitting around the table. And you write something on a sheet and then you turn it to the person on your right and say, okay, you're going to write this about that person. So, you know, I remember that. I've never had a chance to, to run or play, but it is a... What was the science fiction one that you ran us through on the uh, spaceship near the black hole thing? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's on one of the non-cons. Um, sort of a story-esque one, wasn't it? Well, that might have been it. Um, hold on. I think I took... Um, I'm going to try and get my computer to not be a jerk, and I'm going to look up the game. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, that was... I did my own version of uh, Chad's... Uh, Morning Sky Studios game. Oh, here. You know what? I got my. I had my phone. I'll look it up that way. My laptop's junk, but my phone is awesome. Uh, so let me, let me look that up real quick. You might want to pause well, he, the recording a second. I'll tell you what, what, what while you're looking that up, uh, Briggy, I know you've you've actually ran story games for us before yourself, um, but, but what's your experience with them? When did you first play them? I would say my. Really, honestly, the. Different from Fiasco, but I think that Inspectories is mm-hmm. kind of a GM-less game in a lot of ways. And um, the, char- the the people that play the game um, make the story. Uh, and uh, I I had a when I played it the, for the first time I had a really good time. <laughs> and during this time, like, we had three or four people. So we had two people, and I was one of them. You kind of have the – there's a couple of people that play kind of like the same people that kind of are just in the position that they're in with the situation. And then you usually have a couple people that, like, get into some kind of crazy character. So, like, <laughs> the one and, – and it's supposed to be, like, you've played my Inspector game. But it's basically a 
reality ghosts show so uh so that the people out there in podcast land um will know and um the gm really just uh creates kind of a situation in a way i mean i kind of know how it's gonna go but you can keep it open um i think that our my game master was like that I mean, we were so open about it that some random person was walking by and stopped to listen. And he said, do you want to join in? And he's like, sure. Well, who am I going to play? He's like, it's up to you. And then one of our people said, well, we need a janitor. <laughs> it was just like, okay. So, I mean, it was that was a lot of fun. So that, that really kind of got me into wanting to run that type of game because I'm – really not doing much i'm just kind of guiding people along yeah you kind of you know kind of set the set the stage and then people. let the actors act and let uh, everybody just go crazy yeah i mean the guy there was one person that decided that they were going to play a wwe or wrestler <laughs> ex-wrestler yeah. and and, you know, you can, like, just on reality shows where they have those confessionals, oh, his confessionals were hysterical. So, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun. They're, those types of games are so much fun because it doesn't give you any, you could just come up with anything. Yeah, you know, um, run with yeah. it. Yeah, um, by the way, Chad's games are also available on our drive through RPG. He has one called Lucid. And the game I played, uh, which was Dread-based, is called Silent Memories. Ah, I was going to say And that's the one that won the silver. You were. Yeah, yeah. No, it was Silent Memories, and it is just – it's a fun game, but it will mess with your mind if you're doing if, – if it works right. <laughs> um, I had a heck of a uh, time, seriously. Um, and as you – you know, the mechanic is, of course, a Jenga tower, and as the Jenga tower starts to, you know, become Jenga-y, I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it, um, you know, it, it ramps up the tension at the table. It's a wobble. <laughs> oh, yeah. and But, yeah, it is it is an exceptional game. It is a one-shot type of game uh, because right. once you kind of know the story and know the shtick of it, you know, it doesn't have replayability unless you take that and put your own spin on it, mm. you know. So, yeah, and that's what I did. I believe the ship was kind of uh, stuck going, you know, I took kind of the plot of the movie The Black Hole and tried to make it make more sense. Um, and I think uh, everyone, because you start the game, you don't know who you are. I was going to say, I, I almost okay. got a... Uh, um... If you've ever seen the movie Solaris, especially the original Russian version of it, uh, that was the feel I got out of it. That real, like, psychodrama, sci-fi kind of crossover. Oh, yeah, yeah. Weird things are happening, but they make sense. But why do they make sense and that kind of thing, you know? That was good. Yeah, and that's that's very much the, the basis of that, too. Uh, you, you this. Story starts, you all wake up and you've been in like suspended animation and you're wearing jumpsuits, I think, and they have different logos on them. And, you know, and as you try and do things, you make pulls out of the, um, and sometimes even a successful pull means not a good thing. It just means you don't die. <laughs> um, and as, and if you make a successful pull, you reach into the hat or the bowl or whatever and pull out a random strip 
or that has a memory on it. Maybe it's a real memory, maybe it's not. But you start put piecing these things together and figuring out who you are and where you are and why you're there. Um, it's pretty cool. But yeah, that's yeah, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, GMless, I'd say fiasco. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's a debatable thing too. Does a story-based game have to be GMless? I would say not necessarily. Oh, not at all. I think that the, there's a lot more weight on players as far as the plot and story goes on a story-based game. But yeah, I think yeah, some of them can still have GMs. I, I don't see any reason why not. Now, it's been my experience in most story-based games. They're a lot of fun, but they they tend not to stick the ending. Like, it, most of the ones I've experienced, the ending just doesn't... What's the way to put it? Like, in a in your average role-playing game... No, you said, I think you said it. Okay. Yeah. Now, have you guys experienced the same thing, or what do you think? I've only played a few real GM-less games. I've played a game or two of Fiasco. I've played that one Silent Memories game, which is not... G- GMless. Um, it's very story based. Um, yeah. Now, Silent Memories definitely did. Fiasco usually does, but it's baked into it. You know, they take you all the way through it, and they even tell you, okay, now you know, here's the setup, here's what we do, we create our characters, we create our scenario, and go. Then after you've been around the table so many times, you get what's called, you know, it's, it's the flip. Things are going to go from bad to worse. And then at the end, depending on how well you did, you know, you wrap up the story for your character and have fun with it. It could be really, really bad. Um, I think I played one, I played a fiasco game where I was a corrupt councilman in some small Texas town and I ended up a <laughs> drug addict living in a dumpster and I got AIDS from bad needles. <laughs> no, Seriously, it, that's a fiasco. That's almost a happy ending. In fiasco. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> I don't even remember what happened to my character. I'm gonna be honest. Just can't remember. But yeah, it was a, a fun, fun game. And if you want to see a good version, there, uh, Will Wheaton's uh, tabletop did a. Was it a two-part? Anyway, he does a great fiasco. Uh, you watch it, you'll get a real feel for the game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, but I, about do they stick like, landing? Well, I haven't what, played that many. Yeah. But I, to me, I think it's like, when I'm when you're running a, a game for me, and I'm it's just traditional RPG game, uh, you, you've laid out the plot, and I'm kind of trying to figure it out, trying to solve it, trying to come to a point that, you know, we defeat the bad guy or we, you know, reverse this problem that's going on. And th- there's a certain feeling of success of having, I guess, beaten the game. But on the story-based games, because you generate the ending yourself to some extent, it's almost like, like you don't have that feeling of conquering anything. It's just like, well, yeah, this is a clever way to end it. Here's me either being funny or being really clever with how I'm going to tie things up. But it, for some reason, it just doesn't have the same sense of, of closure and, and uh, I don't know, I guess, a, again, uh, winning kind of feel that it does when you, you finish a module or you finish somebody's adventure or what have you. To me. True. I think it's a different... It's different. Mm. I mean, it's it's a good or a bad in regards to that. Oh yeah. Um, 
I just think it's different because um, it's more of like an end of a like a episode of a TV show or something. It sounds weird, but that's what I think about it. To me, it's almost a difference so, like when you're watching a movie and you have like the ending of the movie and that's like one thing, you know, real climactic and all that. But then a lot of story-based games feel to me more like the stuff that comes on, you know, just before the credits where they tell you, you know, in 20 years Johnny became such and such and did, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, uh, you know, kind of cleaning up the <laughs> yeah. mess there, but yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, okay, here's here's okay, here's a difference for us. Here okay. Um so one of my favorite movies if you love uh old fashioned and the sound of typewriters and telephones mm-hmm. is the movie All the President's Men. Oh yeah. So story-based game is All the President's Men, that movie, the story about Woodward and Bernstein breaking the Watergate scandal as is. There it is. That's a story-based game because there's a lot more to the story that goes on. They just tell it to the point where Woodward and Bernstein break the story and then at that point it you know, goes on. But they, they stop at their point, right? A non-story-based version would be Woodward and Bernstein end up storming the White House and Nixon is there as the bed, big bad guy at the end <laughs> of the boss level there and they fight him and they have to kill him. And that becomes non-story based. I am not a crook. I'm a ninja. Ha! Sorry, I don't know if we derail. Exactly. I am a dark lich of you know uh, of the underworld. You know, Lolf right. is my. You're mis- not really a president, and then like the face peels off, and okay. Yeah, yeah. or they they get there. And, and, well, like I'm adding my '80s fun. version to this, you know. Well, they get there and they find out those wackos are right, and they peel off his fake skin, and, and he's actually a lizard man from space. <laughs> you know. uh, all right. <laughs> uh, any any other thoughts on that, or shall we move on to our next uh, next mail here? No, we need to move on. Yeah, I think uh, I don't. Uh, gonna maybe call an audible here, see if you guys agree with the play, but. Uh, so I'm thinking maybe we finish the mailbag tonight, and then we post this as part one, and we come back uh, whenever okay. we can next meet to actually do our this old dungeon portion and the uh, geek credit. That actually sounds pretty good. And I had an idea, and I'm going to throw this out there, is I was thinking of doing a geek cred sometime where I'm going to do an in- a mini interview with each person, and someone will do one for me after you get an idea of what I have in mind. Hmm. All right. Okay. So it's just an idea to throw it this, out there. I need to run down the hall. I'll be right back. I'm sorry. Sure. But I'll be okay. right back. That's okay. I'm, I'm going to yeah, cut into a short one that I forgot earlier. And, uh, okay, this one is from uh, Richard Allman. And, Richard, I apologize. My printer did not print out your email. So I've, I've, all I've got here is the gist of what you had uh, – or it wasn't an email. I'm sorry. It was a message on the uh, Facebook page. So this is just the gist of what you had asked. Uh, you asked um, – you said that you had finished the episode so far, and you're wondering if we were ever going to have an episode on gangbusters. Um, will we be covering that? So, um, oh, yeah. uh, I, I can say personally, I've never actually played gangbusters. I've read it. I've uh, watched somebody make a character for it. That was actually the first exposure to role playing that I had. Um, it, it's a it's a fascinating game to me. I love the idea. So I'm willing to cover it. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, I have this idea to actually run a game of it. And I just kind of – I'll be honest, I've wussed out. 
on it because I've not ran it before. I'm not super familiar with it. I've read it. I like it. It's not super heavy. It would be more story-based hmm. uh, is what it would be. Uh, I couldn't see it doing an extended campaign. I would see the extended campaign basically being an extended one-shot, kind of like you're telling your story and then you're going to be done with it sort of thing. Because, yeah, I can't see leveling up so like forever. like an epic miniseries sort of just thing. The, right, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think we will eventually get to that. That is the sort of thing I don't know if I'd want to try on Zoom. Uh, I might, you know, uh, copious amounts of bourbon might get me some liquid <laughs> courage uh, to do that. But that is in the hopper, and we talked about that a while back. And I would like to try and do that. Um, I think it would be a lot of fun. Do, do you think and it's – I think eventually we will. And – Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You kind of... Uh, oh, sorry. Up a second here. <laughs> um, so, and I can't remember what podcast it was, but somebody had brought up the idea that, um, that that city adventures are a bitch. That when the characters go to a city, um, they're even worse than, than hex crawling in the wilderness. That, that all of a sudden everybody goes everywhere. And unlike the wilderness where there's not a whole lot to, to, to kind of manage, as a game master in the city... There's a thousand personalities and a thousand things going on, and it, it kind of gives you just this, you know, th- this overwhelming sense when you go to do a city campaign, or go, or even when the characters go to the city during a regular campaign. Do you think that that's part of this? Part of the like delay of, of wanting um, to get into no. it? I, it could be. I also think if you're going to do a city campaign, one of the things you need to do is not worry about accuracy. Because if you're going to try and be accurate about every single little thing, you're not going to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the other thing. Um, then a part of a city can't – if it's a real place, mm, that's what you're running into. If it's not, you got a little more freedom. It just depends if you've got a settings lawyer. I think with a city campaign, what works really well is to focus on a particular neighborhood or section of that city. You know, Unless you're doing – you know. Gotham City with Batman or superheroes like that, that's a whole other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But suppose you're doing a mob story and you're going to focus on this city. You're going to focus on this one neighborhood in this city. Um, but but I don't know. That's, that's how question? I would run it. Uh, so it was a, a, a question whether or not we'd be covering gangbusters because we had talked about it in one of the earliest episodes we had oh. there. Yeah. Um, and I've talked about how I offered to run it but I've kind of wussed out a bit about it I, mean, I, I love the idea of it then, but uh, to me the, the, the other thing it has against it that makes it so that I'd be a little gun shy is that it's a period piece and uh, I, uh-huh. I I feel like the, the, the stuff I know and, and would portray about the, the 20s would all be just like really surface level you know uh, uh, what do you call it um, oh uh, superficial kind of stuff and to really get into some of the grit and mm-hmm. fun uh, I would have to do a lot more research going into the thing I think if you, that just depends on how, how much of a level of verisimilitude do you want yeah. how you know are, are, are we doing this for a history professor <laughs> well you know? okay no that, I, I get that but then again you know if you're if you're going to run something like that and it is a, t- a period piece I mean you we obviously aren't you know I mean we how much anachronism played, do you want to well the do? thing is is we've played in games like this before and I mean it doesn't it doesn't 
you know, a pistol is a pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're not using laser guns. You know, <laughs> so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is like. It depends on how excited you are about the game. So what if you, you know, I don't know if this game in particular is in a certain place or area, but like Thomas has before done some research on the area during that time period, and he can come up very quickly with some notes that say, okay, you know, this is what we have. We have electricity. We have cars are new. They they can only go so fast, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, just done that it doesn't take that stuff. much time to um, yeah. to do something like that. But I guess um, the the difference I'm seeing though is like in Call of Cthulhu, there, there's a a certain um there, there's a certain set of paths that characters are probably going to go on in in their investigation during that game. Whereas with a game like Gangbusters, especially if the people sitting down at the table are playing very diverse characters like oh he's he's a cop and I'm a criminal and, and they're the newspaper reporter now all of a sudden there's a three ring circus uh, for the the game master to deal with and all these personalities these people are going to be running into and then you know keeping those areas kind of in check and, 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 and you know there, there's some pre-game work you can do I think research wise that the They'll set you up to make it a little easier, but uh, I don't know. There's just part right. of me that's shy about that sort well, of thing. Well, I think that I... is it supposed to be opposing? I mean, why couldn't it just be you set up the story and this is your objective, and you're playing in this, you know, this setting and and these rules? Well, I th- I think one of the things that would help with that sort of thing is. Um, you might have a plot idea in mind, but don't be married to it because mm-hmm. what you might need to do is when character when, when players are creating their characters, you're going to get hopefully hooks and plot ideas from them to add into your story and kind of like have your players help create the setting, help create the plot a little bit. You might have your plot, but you're going to need to maybe adjust it a little bit. Uh, right. That sort what of if, game um... I don't see. I mean, basically, is, is, is Gangbusters a mob crime 1920s type story or is it mobsters doing a dungeon crawl <laughs> no it's going to be that crime story is what you're looking right. for but you why don't you do this though okay so let's say you have like you just said a criminal and a cop oh but they were best friends in school I mean there's got, well, there's some tie to them the there's got to be well, ties to these people right so, so I think the key to that is to do uh, do a um, <clears throat> do character do a a, a, a group zero. template. Yeah. You got to do a session zero. You got to do a group template. You guys need to sit around and talk it out and be like, well, I'm going to play a cop, um, but I'm from the neighborhood, and you know, and, well, I was going to play uh, a guy, you know, and then someone else says, well, I was going to play a guy. He's trying to you know get higher up in the in the racket and stuff like that. Well, how about if, you know, and you, you guys are sitting there talking, how about we find out we, we went to the, we served as choir boys together or something like that, you know, or altar boys or whatever. So they have, there's a connection there. And then this one person says, well, I want to play this, this, this older guy. And he's the kind of the wise sage grandfather of the neighborhood. 
and I run this shop or whatever. Well, these boys used to hang out in his shop. And then, okay, and then there's a connection. And then one guy, you know, and then you start build. That's where you're going to have to build the story with the characters and a group template. And if you guys don't know what a group template is and you're listening, go to feartheboot.com. They got all kinds of information on that. They kind of created the idea. And, and uh, th- I think that's how you would have to work mm-hmm. that sort of game. Well, and I think you could also to do this. a prequel to the story too, right? I've done that. I've done yeah. prequel mm-hmm. stories. Um, you know, where I give you assigned characters, you play it out, and then how this plays out will affect the main story. Just to get people's, you know, kind of feet wet with the setting too. Mm-hmm. It also helps with, uh, you know, familiarizing yourself with the rules and that sort of thing before you make a character. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Briggy, I think you alluded to this, but but I guess one solution is also for the game master maybe to tip his or her hand a little bit and say, "All right, guys, so the 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 adventure I have in mind tonight is about solving the death of this one murder. I need you to give me a reason why your character is involved in it." And, and putting it back on the players to kind of link in to to kind of keep them within the the confines of what you've actually prepared <laughs> or are comfortable with. Right, and but you can also, I mean, you can also make that more. You know, you can set up a scene and and play it out a little bit as a GM. You know, you can type up a thing about a scenario and then go into it like that you know because that's a lot of fun mm-hmm. I like that where you know the GM says okay it was, it was this kind of night this was what happened like go into the whole thing about you know uh, it made it look like it was some kind of a suicide or whatever it is um, and then that'll draw people into that um, I think type of situation where they're wanting to, they're going to want to be more cooperative than not yeah well, I guess long and short to Rich, uh, Richard Dolman, um, we, we, we're we down for doing an episode on it. When that'll happen, uh, there's no guarantees. Uh, but it's definitely a game that, that I think most of us are interested in and, and want to give a, a shot to. But I think, I, I don't know if you guys would agree with me or not, but I think I want to play it before I talk about it because I think it's it's something that yeah. uh, is its own beast. I mean, it's very different than a lot of other role-playing games, the yeah. and in the way it sets up characters so i think it also would be one that would it would it would work much better if you could sit around a table or sit around in chairs with a coffee table in a living room or something and really interact with each yeah, other yeah it's too. definitely heavy on the rp i think mhm all right jumping around here uh, we got two more uh, let's see let's do sine waves next okay so sine wave uh, he says or you know, he or she says Hey guys, been enjoying the episodes, especially the one on D6 Star Wars and X8. As you talk about D&D, what is the best monster encounter you've ever played or ran? My DM in college ran us through a fight with a black dragon in the middle of a murky swamp where our characters kept getting stuck and sinking muck. We ended up taking to the trees and having a great time splitting our efforts between rescuing party members and trying to take down the worm. Love to hear about your favorite monsters slash encounters. They really steal the show in D&D. Am I right? Keep up the podcast. So Sine Wave, uh, the best monster right. encounters cool. that we've either DM'd or played. What do you think? That's a good question. Okay, who wants to go first? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I don't know. I got, 
I've got one. I've got one. Really, really. It's um, and it's just it's a um, it's a testament to the originality and creativity to players. Um, I had a very short-lived game of library co-workers that we played, and they were fighting a dragon. It was <laughs> we a green were. dragon, and they were severely outclassed. Okay, no, they were punching way above their weight. Okay. <laughs> Um, and I was like, I, in my, my mind, and this, this is something that happens, people get this idea in D&D that when we fight the monster, we have to fight it to the bitter end. No, sometimes <laughs> you got to turn tail and run, and discretion is the better part of valor. D&D players don't know that. And I thought, well, one of two things are going to happen. Enough people are going to get wiped out, and, or, and other people are going to run off, or I'll have a TPK. Well, what they did was, and this is uh, our friend Isaiah brilliant idea they're fighting Ingenious. this yeah he took um help me if i'm getting some of the details wrong there brig but he okay. um the, the a dead dried out tree caught on fire and didn't he knock it down so that it landed on the green dragon it wasn't like a, a huge adult green dragon but it's a pretty decent sized one right and so it lands on him but since it's yeah. uh and it rolls, I, I roll, and the damage is really good, and he doesn't do well. And so this fire with acid causes, like, the, the gland or whatever. That's, I, cause I want to add some kind of science to it. Yeah, it starts to smoke and causes the green dragon and the acid with the fire to explode. <laughs> so so they, wait, wait a minute. Is this the Superman 3 ending here? Defeated a dragon, not by hacking and slashing. <laughs> Superman 3. Yeah, yeah, where <laughs> Superman brings the acid into the supercomputer and it doesn't recognize it as dangerous because it doesn't realize as it heats up, then it becomes, you know, flammable or whatever. You remember this? Well, I do remember that. <laughs> um, but no, it's not from that. It was just his original idea. And that's the thing. You know, certain acids with fire will become combustible like and that. And it was down, like, it was less than an hour. I mean, right? Oh, yeah, this it was, was down yeah. and... Minutes. Yeah, the combat was really <laughs> quick. But I say this had like, wow, we just did that. All right. And I'm like, if you come up with an original idea or you roll those dice, you earned it, and I'm going to give it to you. Well, how much better and is that than just? Oh my goodness, we we happen to ro roll enough twenties to kill it. I mean, yeah, that's great. Yeah. No, and that yeah, and that I love that because that's and because so many. Uh, I'm going to say 90% of the players are like this, in my opinion, at least my experience. It, it beca Combat becomes a game of rock'em, sock'em robots. <laughs> and that was just original. Caught it on fire, knocked it onto the dragon, pinned the dragon, fire, boom. And then when they realized it was going to blow, everyone started running. They were like, <laughs> oh, crap, run away. You know, they're running for cover yep. and stuff. <laughs> So that, that's one that I, that's one I ran. Anyway, who's next? Uh, I've been thinking um, on this. It, it, this is a tough question. Uh, it, it is. I think um, Umber Hulks are my favorite monster, I think. And I don't know why. They're just, even when I was a kid, it was just something about the design of them, this, this big, chitinous, beetle-like creature that can burst through cave walls. Uh, so I've always enjoyed encounters with those. Uh, and I think that was also uh, in one of the first adventures I played, uh, the Game Master had uh, in the dungeon uh, some Umberhulks break through. 
Um, as far as running, one of my favorite things is in the uh, in the uh, village of Hamlet uh, T1 uh, around the moat house. I always love to throw in. I've, I've ran that game. I don't know half dozen eight times. I don't know somewhere in there. But I always like to around that moat house put a uh, yellow musk creeper vine and a zombie. And uh, the, the deal with the vines, if you don't know, they attract people uh, to them, and then you know they shoot out the little mist of pollen that uh, you know basically develops inside the person's head, and then it uh, takes them over, turns them into a zombie, and then eventually they die, and uh, a new musk creeper vine grows from them. But I've always kind of liked that scenario. It always leads to like one or two characters being enamored by the smell and starting to move towards the the flower and everybody else trying to hold them back and falling into the moat. And there's, there's always a great little little to do uh, whenever I throw that in that scenario. Briggs, how about you? Um, you know, um, trying to think of. Yeah, we had that one big. We haven't had like a lot of huge. Um, we probably have had huge monsters, and I'm just not thinking of, that they are. Um, I'm trying to remember, um, I think one of the ones, it's not necessarily like what I remember, like it being the best or necessarily, but maybe I'll go the opposite way. I really dislike the undead trying to kill (laughs) them, um, a lot because especially if you're a magic user, there's not that much you can do. Um, I really, you know, there's some uh, pretty big baddies that we have dealt with with the Ravenloft. They haven't necessarily been monsters per se, but those, uh, what were those vampires? Oh, vampire spawns. Yeah, those are horrible. <laughs> those were horrible <laughs> to kill. We had a really hard time killing those. Um,. But I don't know. I'm trying to think, honey. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a big monster. I mean, I think Bargle was a big wizard, but it wasn't a monster. Right. We and did he... the 3E adaptation from Dungeon Magazine of the original um, Red Box game. They updated it and called it Kill Bargle. <laughs> and man, yeah. I was running him great. Yes. I don't know about didn't... you. I mean, I had the tactics down. I knew what I was going to have him do. I mean, he, he was a monster in his own right. So mm. <laughs> Right. And then one of the players wants to do this kind of parkour thing over the flame, flaming wall he put up. He makes that roll. He makes the attack, rolls a 20, and maxes out on the damage. Well, I gave it to him. That's the thing that it gets me is when you've got something you think is going to be tough and you're playing it straight and you're being honest – and the players roll well, and your monster rolls poorly. Yeah. And, yeah, like that happened in our Ravenloft game, the, the character Rahadin. They finally started to get into a throwdown with him, and he was rolling horribly, and they managed to kill him. And that was in the last couple of sessions. Um, you know, and that's yeah. that, that was a big <laughs> deal. And I'm like, deal. okay, that's going to – that is something – you know, that's also a monster and an NPC. You know, uh, so as far as monsters I have played against as a player, you know, I'm more of a game master than I get to be a, a player, unfortunately. Um, trying to think of the, 
of a cla- I, I've always been fascinated and absolutely creeped out by the uh, rot grub. <laughs> yeah. Um, it creeps me the hell out. Um, I've always found etter caps to be really creepy. Because I don't find spiders creepy, but etter caps, yes. <laughs> um, I can tell you I didn't count one of my favorites. It wasn't really against a monster. And it was in your old Century's Edge game that you ran. We were doing that big, long play mm-hmm. test mm-hmm. at um, at Castle Comics. And I was playing my scientist character. And I was trying to get... Oh, I was fighting a rat creature. Okay, now I'm starting to remember now. Playing against like I... or an alligator. Was this when we were going through uh, Ravenloft's castle, but it's just basically like Dracula's castle? Yeah, I think that's what you did, or something like that. We did that. Anyway, what I remember was like you guys were in a swamp, uh, and this uh, like plantation owner kind of guy was having issues with like I can't even remember the whole setup, but it was like uh, something going on that was scaring off workers and stuff. Yeah, no, that was the one, and or no, I don't really remember. Let's just be honest. Anyway, all I remember is there's a monster. We were trying to electrocute it, and I was trying to, uh, you know, reach. Uh, I had these two strips of wire. I'm trying to reach them together to to create the circuit that's <laughs> going to electrocute the monster. And you had it that my character. I try to pull them together, and they won't reach. They just won't reach. Like one is stuck, and then one is just not long enough. So I looked at you and I said, okay, my character grabs the live ends of each and completes the circuit. <laughs> I remember that now. I remember that. And yeah. Everyone at the table just looked at me and was like, what? Because <laughs> I remember we were playing with some kids and I was like, I was doing an act that we're pretty much going to kill my character. But I'm like, this is such a cool, heroic way to go out. I'm going to do it, you know? <laughs> And he didn't go out. I think he ended up having permanent nerve damage. But hey, whatever. It was so cool. <laughs> but and I did end up, I think, killing the rat creature or alligator or whatever it was because I completed the circuit. Crazy. So, yeah, it was. It, that was a fun one. I always remembered that. All right. The next piece of reader mail is from Jonathan Kurtz, a longtime listener. Uh, he writes in and says, "All my life, I've only played with a small group of family and friends." I wasn't exposed to a larger gamer community until I started listening to RPG podcasts. And surprise, surprise, gamers have developed their own jargon. I'd like to hear your take on some terms. Today's are all playstyle words. Hexcrawl, sandbox, railroad, and funnel. Uh, Also, could you come up with any other game styles? And could you provide an example of a classic module for each style? So let's start with hex crawl. What is a hex crawl, and what's a, a good example of a hex crawl from classic modules? Um, I'm going to say the best example I can come up with a hex crawl is from Isle of Dread. Yeah. That does one, and there's a Star Frontiers Crash on Volturnus one. That's a great that one. That does yeah. that a lot too. Yeah, uh, those um, the the Pharaoh series, a lot of its hex crawl and the uh, masters. What of does the... it mean to hex crawl? Though? Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe we want to define it. Yeah. So uh, he wants an explanation yeah. as to what the heck that means. So in the old school maps, most of the wilderness maps were based on hexes because hexes can be arranged in such a way that uh, there's no shortcuts. That that going to one edge is no further or longer than going to another versus like squares where you have a diagonal that's longer and 
you know, up and down it's shorter. Um, so a hex crawl is the idea that you have this big map and you've got, you know, maybe some of it filled in. Maybe it's, you know, shows you the basic terrain. You know, here are mountains. Here's a lake or whatever. And you're just moving through that map the best way the characters can figure. And uh, you maybe run across stuff. You maybe don't. There tends to be lots of random encounters as you go different uh, into different trains. Um, that's that's my definition. You guys got something to add or? Well, a literary example would be um, the flight from um, Hobbiton to the Prancing Pony to Rivendell to uh, Amon Hen in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That is a classic hex crawl sort of thing. So, and pretty much you'd go into a hex, and you might there might be a predetermined encounter there that they don't know about, or you're rolling random encounters every which way they go. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to roll, and then, and this is this is a cool way to make a game new in every time. Um, they go into another hex. You make a roll. Oh, well, this is where the goblin encampment is going to be. And you know there's a goblin encampment. It just doesn't have a set location in the game until you come upon it, and then, boom, you pin it right here, and that's where it's going to be for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how I look at a hex crawling. Yeah, most of the time there's so, there's something you're looking for or somewhere you're trying to get in the game, um, but you just really don't know where it is. So you're out exploring, and you, you normally the game master will kind of dial up some of the um, survival type things. You know, like you you got to be more concerned about do you have food and water and you know shelter and fire and all this. But yeah, just yeah, Isle of Dread. That one, that one's pretty solid. Uh, and the Volturnus stuff from Star Frontiers is also because it's a crash landing and you're on an alien planet and don't know where you are. Yeah, and they're fun. I I really do. Uh, I, I haven't played a lot of hex crawls, but I really do have a certain passion for them, uh, for playing them anyhow. But uh, and and there is uh, you'll hear this other term. It's kind of popular now. Um, West marches. Which is a type of hex crawl that's very close to what Thomas mm-hmm. was talking about, where it's um, you just kind of it's meant to be a thing where players pop in and out, so you're not always even playing with the same characters. As the different groups meet and play an adventure here and there, you're kind of pinning new stuff on the map and filling it out as it goes. Um, so that's a, a new thing that you'll hear. West marches. Yeah, west marches. That's that. Um, a sandbox is like a setting. You've got all these different aspects of the adventure. You've got different things that are going to happen. And it's how the game plays out is based upon how your characters interact with the setting, with the NPCs, and all, all this other stuff. Now, under a good sandbox, underneath the surface, GM is aware, but the players are not. It will have a timeline of things that will occur. Mm-hmm. You know, unless the players do something to affect some uh, incident or uh, development in that timeline. Like, the timeline is there's a conspiracy to kidnap the princess and we're going to kidnap her at the Grand Ball and it's going to do this and then we're going to take her and then we're going to put her on the ship and get her across the sea. Blah, 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 blah. That's the timeline. But then they don't take into consideration that one of your players befriends the princess. So now she's got an extra protector. So maybe this whole storyline of them trying to um, you know, kidnap the princess doesn't quite work out because now you your characters you or, have befriended yeah. the princess, right? Or they, you know, these ninjas try to 
get into the castle and, and kidnap the princess, but one of your characters is there and so helps fight them off or whatever, or warns the guards, you know. So that's underneath a sandbox. But a sandbox is pretty much like you go into a setting and interact with everything and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that's, times... That's kind Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, a lot of times, a, a, another thing that really lets you know that you've got a sandbox adventure is where it is set up for the characters to have like what they would call a home base, like some place that's really meant for them to come mm-hmm. back to and then leave again. Um, you know, we, we've covered uh, Keep on the Borderlands, and, and that's a, an example of a sandbox adventure there where you have the keep that you can come back to, get supplies, get healed up, and then you go back out and you, you find out what's going on with the lizard men or go find out, you know, uh, who's started the Shrine of Chaos again. Right. Um, I'll tell you a good idea, of, uh, Brig. This will probably bring it home. My old Greyfall campaign, that was a sandbox adventure. Right. Y'all would go, you'd go back to Greyfall, you'd stay there, you'd heal up, you'd train, you'd get supplies, you'd find out stuff. You'd go out and have adventures. Hit the road again, yeah. And sometimes, yeah, and then, and, but inevitably you'd always go back home. Right. I always think of the sandbox adventures, uh, something that you can create while you go along, you know? Like, yeah, that's it, exactly. yeah, Yeah. You just kind of create it. As it goes. Yeah, things things can change in a sandbox adventure too. Right. The kindly old innkeeper that was supposed to be kind of a, uh, an ally of your players because you've got this one guy who's a thief and he's a jerk and he steals money from him. Now he's not an ally in your game anymore because he doesn't trust your group. Hmm. Things can change in a sandbox. Yeah, uh, and and I think you really made a good point there at the beginning that a good sandbox has to have some dynamic personalities built into it, some some underlying activity that's going to go on, because otherwise you, you wind up in this drift where the, the characters just go about wandering here and then wandering over there and then wandering back over here. And that's fun for a while, but you know, in due time, both the players and the game masters get pretty dull uh, from, from that, I think. And then Railroad was the next term, and a lot of people say that this is the opposite of a sandbox adventure. I, I don't know that it truly is, but go ahead. Why don't, well, uh, some I people think, would yeah. call a site-based. Yeah, there's a site-based adventure, which is, you know, you go from point A to point B to point C, which also is a railroad and stuff like that. Like classic D&D dungeon crawls are very site-based railroad. Um, I always um, considered a railroad in that you are only going to go to point A to point B to point C. There is no deviating. There is no skipping B to D. Um, you know, and that's just the way it is. Um, it's it's plot like paint by number or <laughs> plot by connect the dot. Uh, and, if the adventure is set up yeah, so there that... Yeah, there you go. That's a real yeah. If it's set up so that, like, no matter what the characters choose this event is going to happen and they can't stop it from happening. You know, the, the bad guy gets away in act two, no matter what, you know, or, um, you know, the, uh, the princess gets captured no matter what you do. And then that's very railroady. That's, that's what people are talking about that you, you have no efficacy. You're just going down that one path. Yeah. And that can be fun for like a con adventure. If you're just doing a dungeon crawl for the heck of it or something like that. But that's really cruddy. Cause like, suppose you're fighting, you know, the big black wizard Bargle and, and, 
you know, you're supposed to, you know, you defeat him, but I don't, I can't have him defeated because I need him to be my bad guy. Well, then it doesn't happen. Hmm. Well, no, that's not very dynamic. When, in our game, when Bargle was killed right off the bat, I was going to reuse him as our big bad. I was like, oh, well, you rolled it, and you rolled well, and you killed him, but I had all these plot and machinations involved. I just introduced uh, Bargle's uh, evil twin brother, Bartleby. (laughs) You know? It's like, you you take all your plans for this one character, just shift it to the other character. Yeah. Some people, anytime you have a game that has a pre-designed plot, they want to call it a railroad, but but I've found that you can have ones, you know, you you can have a pre-determined plot where, okay, these are the things that are going to happen, um, but as long as you keep them relatively loose and you have, you know, multiple ways to get from point A to point B, you know, oh, you can go the route of B, or oh, you can go the route of C, or, and you, you know, you can never predict everything that characters are going to do, but you can come pretty close. You can kind of give a cluster of options that might happen to bring them to this next point, point. Uh, and I don't consider that a railroad, as long as there's options available and as long as, you know, what they do does matter in the end or does change things in the end. So then we need to give a, an example of a classic railroad adventure. Um, I'm thinking of like some of the mm. some of the stuff that were video games, like um, Curse of the Azure Bonds. Yeah. That, that was pretty railroady. Um, a lot of older yeah. video games are very railroady. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was meaning the the games they were based off of, or that they're translated to. I really don't know where oh, they went yeah, 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 for, for actual uh, tabletop. That's true. Um, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see a railroady game. Uh, some of the Star Wars stuff that's, that's, can get railroady. Some of that, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a little point B to point, you know, point A, B, C, D, and, and so on. Uh, a good a good GM though will roll with those punches. He yeah. might have a railroady adventure, but you throw him a, a plot twist, he'll run with it. She'll run with it. You know, a lot of con games can be a little railroady sometimes, right? Because you're just there to experience it, or maybe you're there just to try out a new game system. Like game system, I hadn't played um, Gen Con years ago. Um, I had never played Mutants and Masterminds, and I love superhero stuff, so I signed up for a Mutants and Masterminds game. It was very linear, very railroady. Here it is. You know, and that worked for that game just fine. But I got a taste of the system. That's really all I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I've got some real roadie. Uh, I can't think of any real specific titles, but some of the old superhero modules from DC's Mayfair superheroes game yeah. and some of the Marvel Phaser Rip games are very, very much that. You are going to go from chapter one, two, three, four, all the way across. Um, yeah, Those, one, that's the oh first man, one what's it called? It's got, uh, uh, I can't even think of the character's name, the hunter, the guy with the lion chest vest. Uh, man. Oh, Craven the Hunter. Craven, yes, thank you. Um, I can't yeah. remember what it's called, but the one that features him is super railroady. Like, you, you just, you know, in, in, in a Supers game, like, that's a bad mix. Like, you cannot do a railroad adventure in a Supers game because it's going to break every time. Because the superpowers, that's what they do, is they, they break the system, right? It, they, they, you always, you know, get outside the box once you start pulling superhero powers into a role-playing game. 
Um, well, we had. Um, I remember you were running. It was a. You were using the DC, uh, the West End Games DC system, and we were playing a game. Uh, I was just one of the, one of them at the shop, and we were playing mm-hmm. with the kids and stuff. And I stopped in, and we had a character that was not. It was. It was just kind of there. He had some good powers, but the kid really didn't know how to play him. But he wasn't there that day, and I was like, "I need someone to play him. Will you play him?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And we were going. We were on an island, or I think we were trying to, you know, find the bad guy's base or whatever. And oh, yeah, the auction and fighting. They were yeah, like and an then auction I, of, uh, you know, he super could, weapons or something on an island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the players didn't really know what to do, but me having, you know, I was like 30-something at the time, and, you know, I'm all these comic books I read and stuff, and he could manipulate the Earth, and there's the towers in our way. I started manipulating the Earth to on one corner of these towers and started knocking them over. <laughs> and, and it was very railroady because we had to work our way across the island to get to where we wanted to be. That was just a section of your game, but that was the encounter. The encounter was railroady, and that makes sense too. But they were getting anywhere, and then I started doing that, and then you realized – I could see in your face, oh crap, Thomas is going to break my game. <laughs> so you had, you rolled and had, you had the bad guys figure out, we got to take this guy out. And you did, you know. <laughs> but I was just using my powers to knock over buildings and blow things away. And, you know, because I was using them, I was using my brain to use the powers. I was trying to think outside the box. Which is the whole point of those games, and, right? Is the creative use of your powers, yeah. Yeah. If I really had these powers, how would I use them? The, uh, so what was the last thing? The last was term it? is funnel, and that's a, a somewhat new one. Uh, the last like maybe five to eight years, I think, term. when I've been hearing the word funnel before. Yeah, and that's mostly due to Goodman Games. Yeah, I think that is its origin. Yeah. 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 So, do you want to describe it? <laughs> um, what, how, how about one of you guys? I feel like I've been hogging the mic tonight. Briggy, why don't you do this one? Because you are familiar with the well, word. I mean, the only <laughs> the funnel. The only thing I can think of in the funnel is that you have uh, multiple characters ready to go at any moment. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah, that's kind of it. There's that's yeah, I mean, it was, it. yeah, that was kind of what I thought about the funnel that, you know, um, let's see, usually the only other things I can think of is like, normally it's a starting adventure. It's, it's normally not designed to be something that you're playing in the middle of a campaign or whatever. And then also it's typically a, a adventure that's, purposely got a high lethality rate to it uh, where you know there, there's ways to instantly die all throughout the adventure you know whether it's dungeon traps or overpowered bad guys or whatever right yeah and then your your character at the end or characters uh, if they survive the funnel you make them into you know one of your regular characters you'll play in the regular campaign um, another version of a funnel is like what she said is you keep reserve characters to the side because you know that there's going to be a high lethality rate we did a star wars game like that where it was my version of the rogue one story before rogue one came out the movie again one of your problems with star wars um (laughs) where the players kept getting killed and so then I would just hand them another NPC and be like all right that's your new PC it's like you were they were a part of a a team that infiltrated (laughs) this satellite but as members of the team, as their individual character got killed off on this unit, they would just take up another character in the unit. Um, 
Another way I would describe a funnel is I had this idea for another high lethality game. Nothing ever came of it, but um, the Suicide Squad game idea I had, because everyone loves to create characters, have everyone create like three bad guys. Pick one of them. This is going to be your main character for this game. And it gives the GM carte blanche to really kill off characters. If their character is killed off on a mission, well, that's the name of the game. It's Suicide Squad. Uh, you know, and then it's like, okay, you look at your other character, you're up, you know. And right. maybe they survive and keep getting stronger. Maybe not. Almost like a, a test of evolution for your characters. You know, the, the, the mightiest or strongest, you know, ends up being the, the one la- left. Although, typically, it's not always the one that has the best stats. So, maybe not. I don't know. No. <laughs> yeah. And really, I'm thinking on, I guess, you know, really, maybe Paranoia was the first game to really operate like a funnel. Because, you know, in that you would have your, your batch of clones that you would be able to go through, and it was high lethality, you know, every button you pressed on the R&D laser gun was going to blow you up, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And as far as adventures for it, um, I don't... I don't know that there's any classic ones. I mean, well, Goodman than... Games does them. That's about all I can say. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I would some say the... you've got. Uh... Trying to think, I think some yeah. of the N adventures, um, w- which featured starting characters off at zero level, I think some of them suggested having kind of a a uh, troop of characters that, in case your zero level character bit the dust in the first, you know, part of the adventure. I can't specifically name one, but I, I recall reading something that affected one of those. Yeah. I did. Yeah, games. yeah, I don't... I can't I can't really... Yeah, Goodman Games, that's the only one. Yeah, that's the only one I know that's using that. Now, what do you guys think about... I know we don't need to add any time, but <laughs> I just got to ask, what, what do you guys think about Funnel Adventures? Because I've played them a couple different ways, uh, and i got different thoughts on them. What do you guys think? How do you feel about them? Um, I like them just fine. Uh, I, you just gotta know that, you know, this isn't a long-term. I mean, I guess you could have a long-term campaign with it, but I think that there's the the thought process is is that these don't invest in this <laughs> in these characters, you know, using a funnel. Maybe yeah. that's what I would say because I mean, like I have um, certain, especially my first character. You know, you invest in that one. I think. So, you know, the long campaign ones, you know, you kind of feel closer to them in a way. I know that sounds weird. Or you covet them in a different way than you would in a funnel system. Yeah. Um, I've got like three thoughts when it comes to funnels. <laughs> uh, one is the, the standard kind of Goodman game style is you create like three or four characters and you run them through your adventure simultaneously. You know, and they all have a set, a chance to act, and they all get a chance to do things. And then as you play through it, they kind of get whittled down to hopefully just at least one left. Um, another way to do that is to have a funnel where, you know, you have your three or four characters, but then what you do is um, one's going to be your primary character, and then we're going to say the other ones are just, they're there, but they're not center stage. So if your primary character gets killed off, you just, okay, you're up. Your next guy's up, uh, and, and there you go. And then, and that's that's another way to do it. And then an, another one is the way you were doing uh, 
you can call classics game is that you're a zero level character. We're not doing other characters, but if he gets killed off, we'll get your, your character in pretty, your replacement in pretty quickly. You know, that's the way to do it. I, I personally, I think I would do just for expediency. I would do my middle one. You have a primary character. We're going to consider the other guys are there. They're just not active, but they are there. You know, just kind of hand wave and go with it. And then when, uh, if something happens to your primary, another character becomes your primary. Yeah. Uh, And that's, uh, those are the two two primary ones that I've played where it's like, here's, here's your group, play them all at once. Or here's your group. As soon as one dies, the other one will move into camera frame. And uh, I kind of like the second version Mm -hmm. better than the first, because when you have four characters, one, uh, it becomes very chaotic at the table for everybody controlling four different people that might split up and do different things. And, you know, it's one thing to have a split party, but when you have even, you know, split characters amongst each player of a party, uh, it gets a little, little over the top. But then also as a player, I kind of like to really think out what the character's doing, even if they're going to die. I don't care. It's still fun to invest in them that moment, uh, to kind of figure out, well, you know, what's this guy about? What's he going to do in this situation? And, uh, so yeah. All right. Well, that is actually yeah, the bottom no, of the I, I like that too. That's it's wow. That's a big mailbag. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think uh, we're going to be back with you all as soon as we possibly can, and we're going to be covering the Queen of the Demon Web Pits Q1. Hopefully, pretty soon, and we'll also have some geek credit at the end of that uh, part two to this episode. So yeah. until then, um, this is Lou Alu. This is Briggy. And this is Thomas. Have a good time and good gaming, folks. See you later. You've been listening to the This Old Dungeon Podcast. Copyright 2021-111. The views expressed, well, let's just say we're unreliable narrators, so listen at your own risk. But otherwise, folks, have a pleasant day.